0: Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science based skills to overcome any type of fear based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how plain and safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hello, everybody! Believe it or not, I am recording the intro to this episode in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, where I am from. I came here to spend the holidays with my family and to catch up with friends, even though it's a little bit tricky to do so in the midst of a pandemic. I don't know how much you know about Bolivia, but it's a magical place, and the city where I am at right now, Santa Cruz, is the warmest and the hottest city in the country. Just to give an idea, in a typical day, the average temperature in Santa Cruz is 80 degrees Fahrenheit and the lowest temperature could be 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, in December, during the summer, the temperature usually reaches 95 degrees Fahrenheit So basically, every single day since I have landed here, I have woke up with a bright sun and the temperature reaching like 94 degrees Fahrenheit around 7 a.m. in the morning. It's ultra hot and it's ultra humid. (laughs) I am afraid I have become a sweating machine. As my body adjusts to this gorgeous weather and while sipping a lot of cups of delicious Bolivian coffee, I started reading poetry. So before we jump into the episode, I want to share with you a poem written by Mario Benedetti. The poem is titled Tactic and Strategy. My tactic is to look at you, to learn how you are. Love you as you are. My tactic is to talk to you and listen to you and construct with words an indestructible bridge. My tactic is to stay in your memory. I don't know how, nor with what pretext, but stay within you. My tactic is to be honest and know you are too and that we don't sell each other illusions so that between us there is no cortine or abyss. My strategy instead is deeper and simpler. My strategy is that someday, I don't know how nor with what pretext, that finally you need me. This is a poem translated by Chris Krall, and I have to say, Latin poets, my goodness, they are trouble. <laughs> So let me switch gears into the episode of today. We often play it safe by hiding, avoiding, minimizing, and acting as if we are not struggling. But it is human to struggle. It is human to ask for compassion. It is human to be embarrassed. And it's human to be vulnerable. In this conversation with Seth Gilligan, he kindly shares his health struggles how he uses behavioral steps to navigate his day, how he uses mindfulness to distinguish what he has control of and what he doesn't, how he deals with feelings of shame. In the second part of my conversation with Seth, you will learn how he and his daughter collaborated together to write a CBT deck for kids and teens. I hope this conversation is helpful and I also hope that it motivates you to be more compassionate with yourself. And I want to finish this intro with a quote from Bob Dylan You must be vulnerable to be sensitive to reality. And to me, being vulnerable is just another way of saying that one has nothing more to lose. I don't have anything by darkness to lose. And I am way beyond that. Okay. See you next week. Ted, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today.
1: Well, it's a pleasure, Patricia. I've been looking forward to this. I enjoyed having you on my podcast. And this is a nice way to reconnect.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I'm a big fan of your work. You have been reading a lot of books. You publish a couple of deck cards. So I think the pleasure is mine. I'm super excited to chat with you today.
1: (laughs) Great, great. We'll see where this goes.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Let's see where it goes. And I'm wondering if you don't mind sharing what are you up to these days, how you spend your time?
1: Yeah, so I'm a clinical psychologist and uh, things have shifted over the past few years. I used to do Almost all clinical work, seeing people in my therapy office or through uh, teletherapy. And then in the past couple of years, I've really shifted to doing more uh, writing, more um, I consult with a mental health app called Bloom um, and uh, do podcasting and creating resources like uh, the CBT decks. I just had a CBT flip chart that came out for therapists to use in session. So it's really been a, it's been a shift, but I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed uh, kind of moving into these, these other areas and trying to find new ways to spread uh, CBT techniques, you know, effective techniques, especially for things like depression, anxiety, and stress, stuff that so many of us are dealing with. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and along those lines, I just started a YouTube channel as well. So lots Mm -hmm. of things going on.
0: Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It sounds super cool. Um, If I can ask a little bit more, how did the shift happen? Because I think many times in our training, we have been exposed to different ways of practicing psychology, right? Like in hospitals, in private practice, but creating content is something that we haven't been exposed to much in our training. So I'm just curious, how did you end up there?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because it's. I mean, on 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 paper, it looks like a fairly straight shot from from there to here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, so there were when I was still doing full time clinical practice, I was getting involved in writing books. I was approached by a publisher to write uh, my my two CBT books: "Retrain Your Brain" and "Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Made Simple." But I was was still, you know, a full-time therapist at that point, uh, but I wanted to get more involved in, you know, these other types of avenues. And it really was out of necessity, was a lot of it, because I got really sick a few years ago with just a, a chronic condition and a lot of somewhat un... Like, not very well-defined symptoms, uh, you know, exhaustion. I mean, common ones, people would, would recognize sort of syndrome of things. And there are some possible explanations, like mold seems to be part of the picture. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's definitely related to stress, if not caused in, in large part by stress as well. Um, so that just, you know, required me to find a new way of working. I just couldn't uh, meet the demands of full-time practice with the, you know, it's all synchronous so you have to be at a certain place at a certain time you have to be awake which wasn't always the case actually i mean i was was having to take a lot of naps and that actually there were a couple times when i slept through a session um i mean (laughs) the (laughs) other person wasn't in the room i was supposed to have a session both of them thankfully were supposed to be virtual so the person Mm -hmm. wasn't like actually at my office wondering where i was or why i wasn't opening the door um (laughs) But that's, I mean, that, you know, that, that wasn't the kind of practice that I had ever run or intended to run. So, um, so I I still see people on a limited basis, but, um, but I had to move away from that. And I think it's been, uh, I mean, really challenging on the one hand, but these other Mm -hmm. things have been very rewarding and meaningful too. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. It's incredible that, that we go through in life, lead us to open new doors. I can see what you are saying. Last year, actually, I was dealing with some um, chronic fatigue issues. My iron yeah, level yeah. Was extremely low. Um, wow. So usually I have this popcorn energy, but oh, yeah. because of the iron levels, my days shrunk to maybe six, seven hours. My whole life had to reschedule and have to be reorganized. Right. It's really one of those things that we have to figure out. What can I do within this amount of time with this amount of energy? Right. So, kudos to you for creating a new path for you that fits mm. where you are, where your body is.
1: I appreciate that. I mean, I, I appreciate your sharing too about your own uh, health issues, and I obviously you know you, you do a lot of acceptance and commitment therapy, and I think about you know within in the mindfulness uh, way of thinking. Mm -hmm. it's so much about accepting where we are and working with that. And I think about this, I was, I was uh, a couple of years ago, I couldn't get tomato steaks, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't get the tall ones that I needed. And so I kept feeling like, ah, these, the steaks that I have are too short. This, you know, it's so frustrating that I realized like maybe the problem is my plants are too tall. Like, and that's something I could control. (laughs) So, you know, that again, it's, it's like, I don't have enough energy to do what I need to do. It's like, well, maybe you have too much stuff to do given how much energy you have.
0: Isn't that fascinating? And if we can talk a little bit about that. I know for me, it was actually really, really hard. I had to say no to hundreds of things. I had to request extensions because it was humanly impossible to go beyond seven, eight hours of functioning. And like you, there was one time in which um, um, I am between sessions and I'm laying down on the floor holding an ice cube on my forehead. So I think... It was a values-based move to say no to many things that really mattered to me, but I just couldn't. Right? I have to shrink and shrink. How was for you? How did you reach that place?
1: I mean, it only took about four years, I think. To, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, to come to that place of of acceptance of like, because I just kept pushing myself. I kept you know dragging myself mm-hmm. to the office, just exhausted, you know, crying sometimes on the way to work. Just like oh, I just felt like I had nothing to give and crying on the way home. Um, But I have to tell you, I mean, a lot of, a lot of my um, ideas came from that period just based on things that I was dealing with myself. So the, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my second uh, CBT book I wrote really in the, in the thick of that period. And I, I think this the, the kind of um, the deeper, empathy and compassion that I had just based on my own experience and and the deep depression that I ended up in, I think, I feel like ended up infusing that book. And then a lot of the techniques that I was using, just, you know, simple day-to-day things based in CBT, like made it into my CBT card decks because, Mm -hmm. you know, just coming up with all these, all these things, like, you know, from literally from morning till bedtime, like things I needed to do to train my mind and to practice certain behaviors and, and a way of being present.
0: Can I ask a little bit more about this? As you're figuring out how your day has to be rescheduled and you are really breathing and living all these CBT skills, you mentioned that at the beginning, you were pushing and pushing yourself. And I think that's that's perhaps the most common experience that we all go through. We have a hard time letting it go and we get attached to how things were and the things that we could do in the past. How was that shift for you?
1: Well, I mean, for I was embarrassed for a long time to to admit, you know, that I had that I that I was going through anything. I mean, you know, to admit outside my family, um, and I guess even to admit to myself that I that I had these limitations. I I, I really, I mean, I I was making all the kinds of you know self attributions that we teach our clients to work through, mm-hmm. like you know saying that I'm I'm weak, I'm pathetic, um, I'm uh, I, I just I hated myself and I think it it really came down to finally realizing like I I just have to. Like it's not it's not really an option. I have to I mean I, I just have to do what I what like we were talking about before, I have to work with what I have. Mm-hmm. Um and that was and, and also um when I finally talked with people about it, you know, and and shared that I was having, you know, going through these things, everyone, I think that I can remember sharing that with was just so, um, concerned and caring and, um, and just, you know, wanted me to, to, to get better. Like I Mm. was, I was afraid if I told, you know, a patient, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, meet less often or, or whatever that they would, that, the that, would only be thinking about what that meant for them but but with like to a person everyone was like like, like oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you know whatever you need like I, I completely understand and I always find that so touching you know and people that I'm working to help this and I <clears throat> I always feel a lot of emotion when I realize this but but there, there's that reciprocity
0: yeah you
1: know that the care I guess comes back in a way
0: yeah yeah and I'm wondering if when you start sharing with others, uh, that in some way shift that the states of shame or feeling ashamed of what you were going through. Uh, I wonder if there is any relationship on that because I know for me, I haven't talked publicly about this. You are the first person I'm sharing in a podcast about the government, my <laughs> goodness, right? Because I have a very low-key. I tend to be social, but very private as well. But I think... I was like you, in some way, embarrassed, um, scared about what my clients may think of my own competence, as I was, like, right. always, Um, scared about, will they get to worry about me? So I'm just curious how it was for you when you put it out there and you got these beautiful caring responses mm. in, in terms of dealing with shame.
1: You know, yeah, it's interesting. It When we think about fear and facing fears, you know, I often think of, you know, we the more we run from fear, the, the bigger the monster behind us is in our imagination. And when we turn around, we realize, like, oh, okay. Like, it's not it's not this this scary demon that I thought it was. And I guess in a similar way, it feels like um, facing what it was that I was ashamed of and being uh, more open about it mm-hmm. just kind of made it dissolve. Like, I didn't feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. I felt, I mean, and this is, I think this is, this is what makes me cry about it, is I felt loved. And that, I, I mean, just really, I think is the opposite of fear and, and probably the opposite of shame too.
0: It's incredible how we get surprised and shocked. Sometimes we experience those responses from others, but we're wired to be caring with each other. I think our mind gets busy, and we forget that, that right. when we hear those caring responses, like, oh my gosh, it's so real. Um, given that experience, as you find different things that you need to do in your day-to-day life to keep doing what you do, or to create new things, how did you continue practicing some form of self-compassion or caring behaviors towards yourself? Like if I bump into you, let's say two years ago, and you're having a tough day in which you are exhausted and perhaps have other body, other types of body noise, but you are more gentle with yourself and you are more caring. What will I see you doing? How will I look inside?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, let me start with what you would see on the outside because I think that was, I I probably led the way with that. I mean, what, what I mean is, you know, in CBT, we often talk about you change behavior and then your, your thoughts and feelings can change as a result. And I think that was probably the biggest thing for me is just, you know, being willing, like when I was tired to not push through, to take a nap when I needed to. Mm -hmm. Um, And to, you know, to, to, uh, as you were saying, like to say no to certain invitations, um, even if normally in the past I would have done them. Um, I mean, for, for a long time and, and and still most days it meant, you know, having enough, like, I I know a, a certain point in the day, i'll tend to need a nap and so i won't schedule things straight through that's so much of it is about the the day that i plan for myself Mm -hmm. i used to just plan you know back to back to back to back not not even time for lunch Mm -hmm. so now it's um you know starting the day with some uh devotional reading and uh meditation Mm -hmm. and then uh, usually some yoga or some light exercise um, a little bit of work in the morning. Um, my, 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 uh, diet is, well, it wasn't bad before, but it's, it's much more healthful now. Um, I go for a, about a 45 minute walk, uh, most days, I mean, every day, but most days with my wife, we, uh, go together. Um, I take an actual lunch break mm-hmm. now. Um, and I used to, even until, I don't know, a few months ago, not that long ago, I would, I would often work uh, beyond, I would work past five, even though I start work usually around five in the morning, because I part of one of my symptoms is I wake up really early. Mm-hmm. And then I would end up, you know, kind of overextended and stressed out, and, you know, trying to get dinner ready. And, the, you know, the nighttime crunch, with our three kids and everything would would get squeezed. Um, and so now, you know, I, I stop, I tend to stop earlier, mm-hmm. um, and, and have just more more space to, to do things so I don't have that constant sense of pressure and stress.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I ask a little bit more about it? Given that we live in such a fast and busy time and there is so much pressure to get things down and get moving and sometimes to power through, I'm wondering what was helpful to have that mindset that the day has X number of hours. This is as much as I can do and I can let this other stuff go
1: yeah a lot of it was just realizing the effects of, of what I'd push through versus when i would you know be kinder to myself i I think part of it is just a, a realization in the past few years that um that our our common way of of living and i don't i don't use this i don't mean to be disrespectful with this term but it is insane i think we we tend to the the average way of living i think is is fairly insane and this idea that that the, the the kind of it's so common this assumption that we should sacrifice our well being in order for you know to work to work more to to get more done to be more you know quote unquote productive
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I, I certainly bought into that completely um, but but yeah I've just come to come to to see more clearly that that's not really where it is.
0: Mm -hmm. I appreciate a lot the realness of what you're sharing I don't think it's sustainable the pace that we are forced to live we get so disconnected from the things that are really important to us Um, no
1: one thing I should add is or I I feel compelled to add is that it's it's such a privilege for me to be able to have a flexible work schedule and um, you know and work fewer hours and still make ends meet and I'm so I, I wouldn't want any any of our listeners to think that, you know, to blame themselves for those things when I think so many people have to work two jobs, you know, just to uh you know keep food on the table and lights on and and I think that I I think that part of the insanity is that we live in a society where um where we're okay with that, where we're okay with with people working, you know, full time and, and living below the poverty line or uh, you know, just not having things that that seem just seem like humane uh, things to you know in, in a society like ours that a person who works full time um, should, I think, have everything that they need. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's my judgment uh, of mm-hmm. it. So, so I mean, I, I, I'm just you know, reflecting as I as I talk about my own. Shifts. I wouldn't assume that everyone has those things available, and it is quite a privilege uh, to, to do that.
0: Yeah, well, I think you're right on <laughs> that sense that the reality of each one of us is different. It's not going to be the same. And the question, perhaps, is if there are restrictions in a person's day-to-day life, what are the tiny adjustments that a person could make to still prioritize their well-being? It doesn't have to be necessarily a big shift. Everyone has a different living situation. But I think we still can remember that there is something about taking care of ourselves versus going with a fast pace of living life. If I can go back to these questions on the outside, uh, you are taking care of yourself and managing things by going for a walk, taking care of the food you eat, organizing your day in a way there is extra room to reset a little bit, and what about in the inside? If there is that urge to do more, or fears about not doing enough, how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure it it varies day to day, but one of the one of the best gifts that came out of this period of um, of real struggle and, and suffering was I finally realized in a flash that I'm loved. Mm-hmm. Like it just it hit me, and I think that that has made all the difference. That's something I can rest in, you know, that, that awareness that I don't like, I, I'm, I can still find myself, uh, you know, pushing and thinking, I have to do more. I have to get this out. You know, I have to get this blog post out today or whatever. Um, but so much of that I think is driven by this feeling of not being enough. And and a lot of that is for a lot of us is related to not um not loving ourselves, or not feeling like like we're loved, or not feeling like I mean, for me it was it was you know this long standing assumption based I think based on my upbringing that that God didn't love me and or you know if or if God did it was in a very kind of um, irritated way. Oh wow! Like, <laughs> like yeah, sure I love you because I have to. <laughs>
0: oh, <my> goodness. <laughs> My mind is gone with so many questions with that story of that thought.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's such a story. And finally, um, yeah, letting go of that, I think that's made a huge difference. And I, I mean, so, so a person doesn't have to assume anything about God, I think, or the, the divine, but, um, but I think anyone can, um, you know, question these assumptions about not being enough or not being lovable or not being adequate, uh, and that yeah, I think that can that internal shift then can can facilitate some of those externals that we were talking about, like you know give yourself a break, you know, have a nice lunch, give yourself enough time between meetings to go to the bathroom.
0: Thank you for sharing again. Um, I think it's incredible how we can be so kind with others and it's so hard to be kind with ourselves. Sometimes one of the blocks that I hear, and certainly I, I had experienced that to some degree, is this fear of letting ourselves off the hook, and and I'm wondering if you experience something like that. This struggles just being caring with yourself when you need it to do so.
1: It is. It's, and I I know that I know that that feeling of I don't want to let myself off the hook,
0: Mm -hmm. but then
1: when I just when I when I. When I hear that phrase, I mean, being on the hook doesn't sound like a very comfortable place to be. (laughs) We have that assumption. I should be on the hook. Uh, But, but yes, I think, uh, I mean, I think it's also a bit of an exposure, you know, when we, when we, we face that fear of, you know, if I let myself off the hook, things are going to fall apart or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fall apart. And then we do it a little bit and we realize like, things didn't fall apart. And self-compassion, I mean, I think a lot of us, myself included, certainly in the beginning with all this, self-compassion can feel kind of, um, kind of grossly indulgent, mm-hmm. but, but really I think self-compassion, if, if what we care about is productivity, I think we'll probably end up actually being more productive if we can give ourselves a little or a lot of compassion.
0: That's right. The the more caring we are with ourselves, the more effective and productive we may be. Thinking about that, if I can switch gears a little bit, you mentioned that this time of struggling with health matters was in some way the the context in which you started creating other types of resources. And I'm wondering if you can uh, share a little bit how it was for you to come up with the last deck that you came up with, with your daughter. That ones for anxiety and stress, what was the process of collaborating with her It will be super cool to hear behind the scenes
1: yeah yeah that was that was so fun because I'd wanted to to work with her for a while mm-hmm. uh, she'd gone through a lot of anxiety and um, told me that she had found my original CBT deck to be really helpful Wow, uh, as part of I know which i actually didn't know that at the time she had uh, taken my Uh, the review copy that I got in the, the, uh, the, what do they call that proofs, um, and kept them by her bed and she was using one to to help her, you know, through this period, using one each day to help her through this period. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool at some point, you know, to, to adapt it for kids, um, Mm -hmm. and, and to work on it with Ada, you know, to make it, um, you know, so I would, I would have her, you know, stamp of approval. This was kid friendly. Um, so, so then, you know, with the the pandemic um, and you know, so many young people experiencing, uh, you know, anxiety, overwhelming stress, uh, depression, suicidal thoughts. Um, I mean, I talked with my publisher about, uh, you know, how about a, a deck, you know, for for kids for this time, and and they love the idea. They were um, they're really happy to have Ada on board as my co-author. Uh, so so we would, I mean. Looking back, I am so appreciative to her for the time that she took because, you know, this was during the, what would that have been, 2020 to 2021 school year. So she would, you know, on her breaks between, you know, her Zoom sessions for for class, you know, we would sit down and work for, you know, maybe a half hour or so. We'd go through, you know, first we just went through um, the existing CBT deck and pulled out practices that could uh, you know, be good for kids that she felt like, you know, she really connected with and that her, her peers could, and then, you know, chose the ones that we wanted and then went through and, um, and we just edit them one by one, you know, so, you know, is this something you would say? Do kids say that? Is that a, is that an expression that kids talk about? Like embrace uncertainty? You mm-hmm. know? And she would tell me like, I don't really think anyone my age says that or <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, uh, and so, um, and it, you know, we, it was it was really fun because you know we were sitting side by side, you know, mm-hmm. like shoulder to shoulder, looking at these these things, um, you know, typing on my computer together sometimes, and and there was a feeling like we knew when we got it, you know, there'd be that wow. sense of like, yeah, that's not quite it, that's not quite it, oh yeah, that's it, and it would it resonate with both of us. We would know like, all right, that's done, on to the next one. That was a lot of fun, and she she was really helpful too, in in. Um, picking out the, the types of, of graphics that we wanted for it because, you know, it's really important that this be visual and engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it took a while, you know, to find what we wanted and to work with a publisher to get it just right. But I'm really, really happy with how it turned out.
0: It's amazing that she actually grabbed your book and she started using it on her own. And then you guys collaborate together. What would you encourage teenagers or parents that are interested in getting the deck?
1: Well, I mean I I think it's great if kids can um be in control of it as much as possible so they really feel like it's it's theirs, you know they have some some agency in it. Um and then I I mean so the 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 deck is divided into three types of cards, think act and be, so cognitive, behavioral and mindfulness uh, types of practices. And I just encourage uh, people to use you know, usually one card a day, just pull a card at random, if you like, and then um, just practice that skill for that day. If you draw one that doesn't really, you know, you're like, eh, I'm not sure that I'm, that's exactly what I'm dealing with today. You know, draw another one. So it's mm-hmm. it's your deck. It's to use as you like. Um, some people like to use it with a therapist, which I think mm-hmm. could be good. I think for younger uh, kids, I mean, so I, you know, it's, for ages probably around I a mean, maybe like a you know mature 7 year old to you know, maybe like a younger uh you know 14 15 year old um on the younger end i think it it can be nice to work you know for a parent to work with them you know to maybe help them with their words that they don't understand or they can just practice together i i mean i love the practices myself they're i mean they're they're really not limited to certain ages
0: mm-hmm. so i think
1: it's i mean Parents, as much as kids, I think, can, can benefit from these do. And um, I think it's it's great if the whole family can be involved.
0: That would be cool. They are really universal skills. We all will get the benefit of practicing them. Absolutely. Even if they're not having high levels of anxiety, right? Um, That's right. Kudos to you and to both of you for creating something so actionable.
1: Yeah, I like it to be bite-sized and manageable. So, our, you know, our stress... Techniques, stress management techniques, I think should not be stress inducing.
0: That's right. Like my writing. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say that. I'm just kidding. Um, Thank you again for making the time to chat. Time goes so fast. I only have one more question. If you were to have a chance to have a cup of tea or coffee with any person you want, who would that be and why?
1: Um, yeah, who would it be? I mean I have two I mean two ideas come to mind. One is I mean, maybe just with my my uh kids. because mm-hmm. like, you because know, 'cause they're I mean those those relationships, you know, that's that's uh that's really where 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 we find so much of our connections just with our closest relationships. Mm-hmm. Um and then you know, I think about famous people, I'm like, eh, like most famous people I think about, I don't imagine it would be it's probably more fun to like watch them you know in a movie or something than to have a cup of coffee with them
0: if you were to have extra time with your kids what would you be curious about today
1: i mean i i would just be interested to know more about their their worlds because it's you know it's so often you get the response you know like hey how, you know how's how's school today fine
0: <laughs> that's right a monosyllabic
1: response <laughs> yeah 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 so i'd love to i'd love to know more of their know more about their inner worlds i'll have to give more thought to the to the famous person one um thomas merton
0: oh wow wow
1: i'd love to speak with him yeah with him um i mean living person i think it'd be i would love to talk with richard Hmm. um uh, david steindler Okay, i don't know
0: uh-huh. david
1: he does, um, he's, he's also uh, a monk, um, and, and he, he's, he's done a TED talk on gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, he's written uh, you know, several lovely books. Um, and if he were still living Richard Mullins, who was a, uh, a, a Christian, uh, singer and songwriter. Um, <laughs> but these, the people that people that come to mind are ones who in my mind, mm-hmm. um, Saw through and and see through the the kind of veil that we tend to observe the world through and they it feels like they they saw clearly um you in, in a way they like so, sort of saw with the eyes of the spirit um and I would just love to 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 talk with them, but I think also just to experience what it's like to be with them.
0: Um, Thank you so much again. It has been such a pleasure to chat with you and have a real conversation.
1: This has been great, Patricia. Thank you very much for the time. Thanks for your your sensitivity and the questions that you asked. And I look forward to the next time.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts show notes of this episode are in the website playing it safe that's on make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions see you soon